0: You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 99, Motherland, Fort Salem.
2: Welcome back, everybody. It's Mike and Dave with you here one more time with a show topic, and this one's for Motherland, Fort Salem. Looking forward to this one quite a bit, and I don't know, it has a a nice flavor for our final show topic because it's just fun. It's got just so much uniqueness to it. Something that's really different from things we've talked about, even in the witch subgenre, if that's a thing. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to this one.
0: Well, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned that because we've certainly covered a number of shows that had witches at the core. So whether it was charmed, always a witch chilling adventures of Sabrina My favorite, A Discovery of Witches. Heck, even Midnight, Texas. Yeah. (laughs) Those were all fairly typical for the kinds of ideas and themes and and storylines that we see out of shows with witches at the center. Not so with Motherland,
2: Fort Salem. Exactly. It's got the alternate history. I even like the fact that it has a map and a family tree during the opening credits, which we'll talk about. But yeah, it's a good one. And I'm, I'm just feeling like it's a, an appropriate one to end the podcast because we do only have one more episode left, episode 100. And the discussion topic is going to be favorite moments, favorite topics, favorite interviews, whatever you want from the past four years, five seasons of Sci-Fi Fidelity. And we're hoping people will share. We've We've got some uh, I think one answer so far. Is, <laughs> so hopefully people will chime in for the next week. I put the topic up a little bit earlier than usual because audio is allowed. So you hear that, Fred? Not saying I won't edit you, but <laughs> but you can submit audio to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. And we're hoping we get some people who are sharing some memories for us to go out on. And Dave and I, of course, will share our three favorites each from the podcast over the years. So that's going to be a fun one to end on as well.
0: Yeah. And I think this will be one case where we really don't have any overlap. I'm pretty sure you're not going to choose (laughs) the three I have in mind. And uh, I feel fairly confident I won't choose the three you have in mind.
2: Yeah, that'll be cool. So it'll be a nice little diverse way to end up things. And speaking of diverse, I love that Motherland Fort Salem fits into the vein that I think a lot of sci-fi especially in this freeform audience you might say since it is on a channel that is known for its younger skewing content you always have to have like the lesbian character you've got to have the the young people having different personality types the the shy one the naive one the cocky one and the the loner or the outcast and I think that formula works really well here and it's weird that i'm even calling it a formula because it doesn't feel like that in the show. Well, i know, and, and you know, when we talked earlier in the week, you mentioned,
0: you know, feelings about the hundred and connections to the story here and and certainly one that came to mind for me is revolution. And i certainly don't mean that as any kind of a negative. I I just got that feel because one of the things and i know we'll talk about this is the world building in this show? Oh,
2: yeah. Just really well done. And I felt like there was a little Starship Troopers flavor to it as well, <laughs> that kind of felt like, you know, soldiers, some of which are seeking glory, some of which think that that's a bunch of hooey. And I really like that aspect of it too, because there is a lot for these young soldiers to learn about what they're in, in for. And I think we as an audience also are learning it along with them because we don't really know what we're getting into either. And this is a week-by-week show on Freeform, and so that's another aspect of it because we will be only talking about the first two episodes in the spoiler-free area of the podcast, and then we'll talk about episodes three and four in broad strokes in the spoiler zone. But there have been five episodes as of the publication of this podcast, but I feel like the first four really laid the groundwork anyway, so we're not going to go into anything from episode five. And of course the season will continue uh, well after this episode is in the can. So hopefully you guys have been enjoying motherland Fort Salem so far, but I like how it starts Dave, because we're starting at the very beginning as soldiers are being conscripted on it's their 18th birthday, I believe, right? Yes. Or their 18th year. Obviously they're not, they're not all having their birthday, but they are ready to be drafted into the witch army, which is an agreement that goes back to the days of the Salem witch trials. So I guess we're talking about an alternate history that branches off from what we know at that point.
0: Right. So the the witch army that we see, number one, I I love the fact that we're really just presented the female witches. We, We do learn in a subsequent episode that there are which is out there, but the story, at least through four episodes, focuses on an all female army, all female leaders, and it's really done well. And, and all the little bits and pieces are laid out sequentially for us. Like you said, conscription day. Well, we know what conscription
2: means, but what does it mean in this context? Right, because it does seem to be something that is looked upon with honor. And certainly the civilian populace thinks that these are very brave young women, even though they're doing it out of a legal obligation, they're also very brave to be doing it. But I like that there's a cold open here because we don't go right in with the conscription day. We actually see a branch of the celebration, probably, of conscription day in a mall. And there's just a woman standing in the middle of the hallway there watching a balloon. It's a little bit different from the balloons that are set up for The celebration, which are all red, white, and blue in the American tradition. But this light blue balloon is floating down almost as though it's being called by the young woman standing in the middle of the promenade. And this balloon, we learn, has a sort of a dastardly connotation as it drifts down and pops. And suddenly, all around her, people start jumping from the balconies, some even climbing up higher so that they can make sure that their fall is fatal. And so it basically was some sort of spell to cause a bunch of human civilians to jump to their deaths. And this is considered to be a terrorist attack from an organization known as the Spree, which it takes us a while to learn just what they're all about.
0: Right. And again, I love the vagueness that is associated with the spree through really even several episodes. But as you mentioned, this cold open, we certainly get the feeling
2: that these
0: are probably witches in their own right.
2: Yeah. And I'm already getting the vibe, although it kind of faded out as the episodes went along, but I'm sure it'll come back in these first episodes that the spree might be kind of like liberate in continuum where, okay, their methods are horrible. But maybe behind it all, they've got the right idea of freedom to cast and be the kind of witches that they want to be without being part of this military industrial complex that America seems to be in right now. Because I don't want to say there there is a president of the United States, but there certainly is a power play almost as though you feel like at any moment there could be a military coup And suddenly we would be under that type of rule rather than a democratic rule. Yes, protector. Who are you protecting? (laughs) Exactly. So it definitely has that feel initially. So I, I do think that idea is planted even as horrible as these acts are that they're committing against innocent civilians. But it does actually lay the groundwork for the battle that these brave young women are entering into because it is wartime. They're battling against the spree. And going back to 1692, the Salem Accord dictates that children of witches need to report for duty at Fort Salem in their 18th year. And I love how the opening credits show that this United States has a different set of states. And in fact, our native state of Maryland, where Dave and I live, doesn't exist in this version of history. Yeah, it didn't make the cut. (laughs) Looks like we've been usurped by Virginia, I believe. Exactly. And you can see that the country is sort of divided into two halves with the session along the Mississippi divide, which, which actually confused me at first, because we do hear that rail collar played by Taylor Hickson is from the Chippewa session, but that's apparently in Carolina. We learn later and the session along the Mississippi divide might be kind of a neutral zone in the vein of man in the high castle. I'm not sure, but I guess that might come up in a later episode, but it's cool that we get these three characters that are from very different areas of the country, very different types of society within those states. And like I said, Rail Collar, a great, great character played by Taylor Hickson, who I know from Sci-Fi's Deadly Class, which I reviewed for Den of Geek. That show only lasted one season, but she was great in that and she's even better here. And you can see that she is some type of healer because she's easing the pain of a grateful housewife who looks like she has the shingles. And we have a more of an approving father figure. Some parents aren't quite as, you know, loving as Rail's father is, but a missing mother, I think is really informative for her character. And her father gives her a talisman that belonged to her mother. It's a family heirloom. But because of her mother's death and the circumstances that unfold about it, we do learn that Rail maybe has a bit of a death wish and is not necessarily going to basic training with the best hopes of her fellow countrymen in mind.
0: (laughs) Right, and they do put her into that character mold of the outsider who's not ready to play by the rules. And yeah, I like the the way they speed things up through the first four episodes because it, it really does seem logical that once she's in with the other young women, that her attitude would change. And, and of course
2: it does. Right. And she's kind of punk and I like that about her. And we actually learn that the three characters are going to be sort of joined together in a unit, which they have throughout the basic training camp uh, groups of three. And I guess that's just how they come up together and they're judged together and all that. But Clearly the leader of the group, you might say, is Abigail Bellwether, who's from a family of soldiers that goes way back. Her mother is a general, and Abigail is played by Ashley Nicole Williams. She's in New York City watching a military parade with a boyfriend who wants to still stay attached to her, but she's not having it. it gives her some sort of a voice command, and we get to see them casting these spells with kind of a vocal element to it. And certainly throughout the first few episodes, we can see that these spells are cast almost with singing or vocalizations or just kind of otherworldly sound or ancient languages, that type of thing in order to cast them. And she kind of sends him on his way to forget about her as she (laughs) heads out. And she can see, you can see as the audience that her mother has high expectations for her daughter Doesn't want her disappointing the Bellwether legacy. And of course, in those opening credits, you can see the Bellwether line goes way back to the beginning. So as as many of them do to the time, the first uh, witches in Salem. So this is not something where Abigail's going to want to disappoint her family.
0: Well, you know, she's clearly set out to be a leader. But do you get the feeling she's not really a natural leader that this is just forced because, as you said, her mother's a general?
2: Yes. And she's very headstrong, certainly. But yeah, she needs to work on her leadership qualities. And I like that about her characterization because it makes it believable that she can have growth. And if this show gets several seasons, I'm sure we're going to see that growth for her. And I look forward to that because, you know, Abigail makes some mistakes in the first couple episodes. So we definitely uh, will see that develop. And then finally, the third character in the group is Tally Craven, played by Jessica Sutton. And she's in Sacramento, In an area known as the matrifocal allotment, which is all women, no dudes allowed, (laughs) a whole community of women. And so as a result, Tally is quite naive, especially in the ways of relationships with men and she doesn't even have to go. She actually has an exemption that her mother is begging her to take advantage of, but Tally feels a duty in this time when the terrorist attacks from the spree are increasing. So she takes the oath against her mother's will. And we get to see through her eyes, the journey to Fort Salem as she is given a seat on the plane by a man who, you know, appreciates her heroism and thank you for your service. You can take my seat on the, on the plane to Boston. So, I think that was a really cool way to kind of frame how the country feels about these soldiers so that we know that there might be a mixture of people that look fondly upon these soldiers. And then there are also, as the series progresses, people who maybe are a little bit mistrustful of them as well.
0: Right. But, you know, that's the scene that, for me, let me know that this is really a series to be reckoned with. I I thought that was a very powerful scene, even though it only took a few seconds on screen. Right. That, uh, you know, there's some good stuff that's lying in wait for us here.
2: Right. And it's, it's interesting, too, because they don't hold your hand with this series. There's a couple of things, in fact, that happen right away when they get to Fort Salem that I didn't realize at first. And then when I realized it, I was just like, whoa, that's cool. And the first thing was that the speech is being given to the new recruits by general Sarah Alder, who's clearly in charge of the army. And she talks about how the witches bargained 300 years ago to make a place for them in the society and that they would win America's wars as long as they were left alone and weren't persecuted anymore. And we get the sense that Alder's got a lot of blood on her hands But did you know that this Sarah Alder in this part of the story is the same Sarah Alder that we see in episode two, that they're doing a little passion play about the origins of the Salem Accord? Like she just, I guess, has long lived uh, genes or something is keeping her alive longer than the average person, which we'll learn about in the spoiler zone. But here in the beginning, I was just kind of like, what? is this a, is just the same namesake or what's going on here so i was confused by that but in a good way
0: <laughs> well, right because we are thinking well okay maybe the witches don't age normally but then we you know we get glimpses of the biddies yeah we clearly have aged but uh, see now i thought what you were going to say you recognize that oh one of them's a redhead one of them's a blonde <laughs> and one of them's a brunette and yeah <laughs> that's okay but, uh, but they, they do <laughs> There were several times where the three of them are arranged by height.
2: And I don't know. That's okay. <laughs> they they really did a great job casting. And I thought, I'd think so. You know, especially since the actress playing Abigail, it's not like she's been in a whole lot of stuff, you know? And Taylor Hickson is, is a known actress. But even Tally, I get kind of a summer glow vibe from her, which. Is really fitting for her character because she can kick ass along with the rest of them. So it takes her a
0: while to get there. But well, I still want my slow motion scene where the three of them are walking towards the camera, one in the <laughs> middle flanked by the other two. But yes, I haven't gotten that
1: yet.
2: Yeah, exactly. But yeah, the, their personalities being so different is what really makes it work, especially since they do bond and fight and both are equally believable. <laughs> so you know, Drill Sergeant Anacostia Quartermain, who's played by Demetria McKinney, says that these three will be judged based on the performance of their unit. And then they will be sent on to war college if they're deemed worthy. And that's officer training, basically. But when the three roommates meet, it's doing pretty well at first. They do this really nice ceremony for the dead so that we can get a little bit of an idea of some of their background because they've all lost family to the fighting. And in particular, we learn about Rail's mother having died under circumstances that she felt were, you know, maybe heroic, certainly, but maybe could have been different. And Rail certainly misses her mother, as, as they all do miss the people that, that they've lost. But, you know, because Rail ducks out on the very first training exercises, and this is not something that's going to change. She's going to keep doing this throughout the series. We do get to watch experienced soldiers wielding tornadoes in their training out beyond the fence. And this is where she meets a character named Scylla, which isn't foreboding at all, Dave. No, no. (laughs) Naming your character after a Greek monster, not at all. But Amalia Holm plays Scylla. And, you know, there's some chemistry between these two right from the start. And you can clearly see where it's headed (laughs) way before it actually happens. And she's a rebel too. So they both get demerits for ducking out on training But what I really like is that this is the first inkling that there are different types of witches, because Scylla is part of the necro unit uh, with necromancy and and spells revolving around the dead come into play. And they don't tell us anything more than that at first. But because Rail is a healer, you know, you get the sense that that's another type. And maybe these witches that are wielding tornadoes are another type, more of a, a battle which So I really kind of like how they slowly introduced the fact that there are different disciplines as well. So really well done. And in fact, right from the start, I'm thinking the magicians could have taken a a lesson or two on the coolness of spellcasting from Motherland Fort Salem.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but Uh, Come on, man. It's the magicians.
2: (laughs) That's okay. I we don't speak ill of the dead now that the magicians is over. I love that show. But basically they have different terminology in the show. I do like that they refer to a drug that is used, a combat enhancement drug called Salva, which Scylla and Rail use to kind of get high, but also apparently the adult soldiers use it in actual battle to kind of heighten their powers. And just gives a little bit of a background, a little bit of a mythology, little hints at things to come so that, like you said, it's part of the world building that makes it seem more deep and well constructed.
0: Yeah. And then not to mention, see, I thought you were going to start talking about the seeds.
2: Oh, the seed. Yeah, that terminology too. talking about the song seeds and each one of them has either a name or a number that they're supposed to learn. Some of them are outside of human hearing, which I think is really cool. And like even the necromancy spells, I know have kind of a creepy sound to them. Whereas others are more harmonic and beautiful sounding uh, or, you know, dissonant sometimes as well. So it's really kind of cool how that unfolds throughout the episodes, but right away, because rail has been doing these things, Abigail is pissed because they start out with low rankings and she's expected to be among the top.
0: And then what'd you think about
2: when Abigail goes to
0: talk to the general because clearly she's got the pressure of her mother looming over her and she's got this blonde girl that's not pulling her weight at the beginning and she's not having any of it. But I, I like the way that scene turned out.
2: Yeah. And Abigail should have known better. You get the sense. And she, she feels like I should have known better because you're not supposed to do that. you need to get your unit together. No matter what, Difficulties you have apparently it's a huge faux pas and Abigail gets kind of knocked down for it and you know you need to get whatever differences out in the open and sometimes even use it to your advantage I think in some cases their conflict actually makes them more powerful and makes their spells among the best in the entire freshman class as it were. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: look, if you're going to be a good leader, be a good leader You and know, do what it takes. And, and I think it was so great that the general just told her to get the hell
2: out of my office and make it work. Yeah. And I like that. Tally even gets pissed that Abigail did this. It's like, okay. Rail avoids responsibility, but Abigail has a superiority complex. Tally notes. And she's the one Tally says, I'm the one who should walk. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, i like that. She's well, okay. for herself there. <laughs> But Scylla gives some advice to Rail because, you know, she can't keep doing this, ducking out on training and having a death wish. And she basically wants to screw up so that she is put in the front lines, in the trenches and dies very quickly because that's all Rail wants. She just wants to get her life over with, fulfill her obligation and join her mother in the afterlife or whatever it is she believes. So. Scylla gives some interesting advice. She says the way over is under and the way out is in, which I took to mean that she should just go ahead and get trained and then use the training to escape or do her own thing, which of course is kind of the philosophy of the spree. If you think about it, they don't necessarily want to be under the military's collar as it were, but at the same time, you know, you need their tutelage in order to become a powerful witch.
0: Right, and it's certainly foreboding about what we learn about Scylla.
2: Exactly, because as the time goes by, Scylla is seen to be going a little bit more and more off her leash, I guess you could say, but we'll get to that in a minute because we do clearly see, and I guess I kind of saw it coming, but it, it, as a pilot, it's just really solid because it ends with that twist ending, if you will, of Scylla kind of revealing to us the fact that she was the same woman as was in the opening, the cold open that affected the terrorist attack at them all. So were you surprised at all by that when she pulled out her lighter and, (laughs) and burned off her face?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm still trying to get a handle on how that all works. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, even four episodes in, it's still not exactly clear the, mechanics of it but that's okay i mean we've certainly figured out enough but yeah i
2: was surprised sure yeah and and i think that's the kind of magic that might be a little bit more forbidden or maybe even unknown to the american soldiers and their ilk which kind of worried me at first i thought oh we're going to do this mistaken identity thing anybody can be a cylon (laughs) that sort of thing and It didn't turn out that way. So I'm I'm glad to hear that. Um, Although by the end of episode four, we'll talk about in the spoiler zone, there may have been a little twist on that. But we do get a background about what's going on in the wider world. And I like that it's got this international feel because we see the general talking to President Kelly Wade. They go kind of back and forth, power play kind of conversation. And the president really wants to hear that they are gonna be able to combat this new threat from the spree and alder kind of says well we've got a way of tracking these forbidden spells that they're casting and we know that they need a pocket of air thus the balloons and also i think they used a, a old coke bottle or a two liter bottle to carry out one of the attacks as well and it's really just a spell that's been captured in inside of something. And when it bursts, the spell is cast. But it seems like the president didn't know that. And she's wondering why she didn't know that. And the general just says, well, these are military matters. And that's where I get the sense that there's a real divide between the political power and the military power.
0: Right. And the other thing, we do get the sense
2: that there is a more traditional army as well. Yeah. A civilian army. Right. And The army of the witches is fighting a battle in Kiev, which I don't know that involves the spree per se, but it must. So I I at first thought the spree were a uniquely American problem, but apparently the Russians are dealing with them as well. But uh, this is where we actually do see a lot of not only when Abigail goes to the general, but also when the general is talking to the president The biddies in the background, as I actually had to look them up in IMDb and see that they were called the biddies because that term is not used until later in the series. But these old women that kind of follow her around and kind of make these little clicking noises every now and then, and they seem to be linked to the general's emotional state. Would that be accurate, Dave?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so. And, and you know, you mentioned the the clicking noises that they make, generally to show their displeasure about right. something. But the other thing we haven't talked about is that unifying physical act that the soldiers make, where they stamp their feet together.
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> so cool. It is very cool. Sometimes I feel like the motion of them standing in a field kind of looks a little goofy, but when they're sitting it, it's got a nice rumble to it. (laughs) So that's their method of applause. But the training is just really cool as it progresses. And I think it really is kind of nice to see the process of, you know, the different conflicts within the recruitment class and even within the unit. But we see that Scylla is avoiding questions that rail has about her background and Right away, Rail has a little bit of misgivings that, you know, you keep thinking are going to lead somewhere and and Scylla keeps being able to dodge her way out of it. But because Rail is late to inspection after spending time with Scylla, she gets patrol duty. And on patrol, I really like the scene where she meets this Lieutenant Helen Graves, who is a sophomore necro at War College, also on patrol, checking doors, make sure they're locked and all that. And she talks about the four different types of witches that we've not been exposed to in their entirety yet. We've heard about the necros, but rails type of healer are called fixers. And I would imagine the blasters that the Lieutenant refers to are the ones that we saw using the tornadoes. And then there's another type called knowers who are able to kind of see around corners and, you know, predict the right paths and everything. And I think Tally might be headed down that road because we see in and a later episode that she's able to identify different colors of flags that are hidden behind boxes or whatever, something like that. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see if maybe Abigail becomes a blaster and then she has a knower and a fixer in her unit as well. And then Scylla, I guess is the representative Necro. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's kind of cool. Yeah. But the healing does come into play of course, because Abigail bears the brunt of punishment almost as though she's the leader of the unit, but also because I think the drill sergeant knows how to manipulate this group into cooperating and being a very powerful group. So when rail tries to heal Abigail's wounds that she took during an endurance test that has her coughing blood, uh, she's rejected. And, you know, that's something that Abigail has to be able to accept help. And I think that's another mark of a leadership that she needs to learn.
0: Yeah, it is kind of a turning point for the group because she does sort of relent
2: after a brief time. All right. Especially since when they are in training where they're kind of showing this, I think it's called a wind shear spell. You know, they're arguing as they take their turn. It's almost like you're you're doing a soccer drill or something where the unit in the front tries to shoot a hole in a block of solid metal. And then as the tensions heat up, as they argue more and more, finally, the argument comes to a boiling point and the three of them step to the front of the line and blast a hole (laughs) straight through an inch thick slab of steel. So that was really cool.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, the other thing I liked about that scene is that the drill sergeant or whatever her rank is acknowledges this act that the three women unit has performed in front of everybody. And, you know, so many times we see in this kind of a situation, you know, okay, fine. That's what you're supposed to do. Get to the back of
2: the line. (laughs) exactly. And that could have been her reaction too, because earlier we did see when Scylla gave rail, the advice to play along so that you can learn what you need to, and then make your own fate. She comes and joins the group. And that's when they are able to harmonize enough to create this giant version of kind of like a swirling mass above a tuning fork that their classmates are barely able to muster a tiny little sliver of. So, you know, definitely think that these three are going to be much more powerful than, than their classmates. But one thing that definitely comes into play is this conspiracy element because Scylla does stop in to be with rail and kind of, shows her some really cool aspects, some more lighthearted aspects of necromancy by bringing a mushroom to life in this very beautiful way. And because Rail is kind of falling for her now, Scylla is able to tell this balloon in the mirror, which is kind of very weird and Stephen King-like, if you ask me. She says, she's mine and wants to be extracted but the balloon kind of lashes out and breaks the mirror. So Scylla is not calling the shots. And I like that we learned very early on that Scylla's going to have to toe the line and not just fall in love herself, despite the fact that she has a mission to just string rail along.
0: Right. And that's left pretty gray throughout the first four episodes,
2: mm-hmm. whether or not she really has feelings for Ray. Exactly. So, we're going to go into the spoiler zone here because of course they do win a trip to the pageant because they were able to blast that hole in the sheet metal. So they are actually going to be able to go to town kind of like the, uh, Harry Potter equivalent would be going to Hogsmeade, except with a lot more sex involved. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Hey, where was that when I was in college? (laughs) Exactly. So we're going to go ahead and go into the spoiler zone. So if you haven't seen episodes three or four, stop now and come back when you have. You are now entering the spoiler zone. Okay, the first thing I want to mention in the spoiler zone because I thought it was so cool was that we do learn that the Biddies are keeping General Alder eternally young and that this is indeed the very first Alder from 1690s from the original Salem Accord and we get to see one of the Biddies kind of reaching the end of her life. And it causes kind of a very controversial moment in the middle of an international meeting where we start to see the age on general Alder when one of her biddies falls ill and has to be replaced. And I just thought that was so cool. But you know, the other thing, and and I
0: agree, I thought it was cool too. And and cool. How one of the young women stepped up, comes up and takes her place and, and immediately ages to, to take on Alder's
2: age. But what, did the general do to deserve eternal youth well she was the one that affected the salem
0: accord all right so this is her reward then they or, or is it not a reward it's just that they they feel having her in place is the best way to take care of and watch over the witch army
2: right and i think also it might be a play that kind of speaks to her dictatorship over the Fort Salem concept because like i said if spree is liberate then general alder is alex Adler. <laughs> i know? love it i love it <laughs> you know where she just thinks she knows what's right for everyone but she's doing it at the expense of all their freedoms so i think it's going to be interesting to see it unfold in, in that sense so then ray is kira cameron <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Or one of them anyway. Maybe the three of them together are Kira Cameron. Okay. But we do get to see during that scene that that there's a group at The Hague, and I love the fact that they're involving other countries because it gives it much more broad appeal, I think, to show that the entire world is dealing with this and they all have their own witch army and witch generals and all that kind of thing. So there's this tiny little mention of a desert group of singers that have seeds that have never been heard before. I think the Russian contingent brings it to their attention. Now, of course, it just gets that mention and we don't hear about it. I'm sure it's going to come up later, but that was really cool too, because everyone believes that the different countries are going to try to exploit this group rather than leave them alone, even though General Alder insists that they be left alone. And I wonder if she's just saying that as they suspect so that she herself can bring them under her wing.
0: Yeah. And how many times have we talked about over the years, well, what's going on in the rest of the world? Exactly. And it doesn't take that much to acknowledge that whatever's going on in in this world, it's not unique to this one country.
2: Exactly. I feel like they could have done a little bit more of that in The Man in the High Castle, to be honest. But they definitely do a good job of it here. Uh, The one thing that was a little bit strange for me was the importance that was placed on this sowing of wild oats in the Gaelic holiday known as Beltane, which is a real holiday. It's kind of a May Day kind of thing. And apparently bringing in this small contingent of men, because of course, which kind among the male populace, I get the sense is much more rare, but bringing them together kind of heightens their power and that heightening of power can be used Uh, in wartime. Is that a correct read?
0: Well, well, I guess I looked at it both ways, certainly that aspect, but also the fact that many of these women are not going to return other than in a body bag. And I I think just the need to have that freedom. But the other thing I found fascinating here is you mentioned tally and how naive she is
2: well she ain't shy i will give her that (laughs) Yeah, and yeah it's definitely interesting the way that they went against gender roles of yore because this is the kind of thing that if you were watching like south pacific let's say and they brought in a bunch of women from the native populace to kind of let the soldiers let off some steam That's the same flavor we're getting here, except it's the men being brought in for the women. And they do it with such a great amount of subtlety that it doesn't feel like, you know, like a feminist (laughs) purposely, you know, preaching this idea to you. It just feels very natural. And I love that. Even, even down to the fact that Abigail gets two of the men to herself. (laughs) And even that the witch father hooks up with General Alder. (laughs) Exactly. You know, this is all in everyone's best interest, you get the sense. But, you know, these men are expected to consort with many women, which actually bothers Tally a little bit. But the guy she ends up with does definitely express himself as being really just interested in her, even though he's not supposed to do that kind of thing. And they've got a different type of spell work, too. I kind of got the inkling that talking to animals was more maybe of a male aspect of magic i'm not sure but he certainly could with his birds and everything like that what i really loved about beltane was the dance called the reel which was right before you know everyone went off to have sex in the woods (laughs) you know but the dance it was all like synchronized almost as though it were being choreographed by magic and just a really cool scene could have been super cheesy but definitely wasn't
0: Yeah. And I like the fact that Raelle participates because, again,
2: this is not her thing, typically. Yeah. And she even finds, uh, you know, a gay guy who, you know, has to say, you know, couldn't you sense that I'm not interested in men, not interested in women the same way you're not interested in men? So that's a cool friendship that pops up as well. And they kind of have a fun time of their own. I have the feeling that guy's going to come back at some point. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's like the, the Elliot to rails Margo, if you will. (laughs) But the character of Porter, that's the one that really we're going to have to end up with here in the spoiler zone, because Porter is one of the men that comes into in for Beltane and he knows Scylla from her youth. So you know, he tells rail a little bit about it, forcing Scylla to give rail a little bit more background to assuage her suspicions. But Porter does suspect that perhaps the fact that Scylla's parents were deserters or they avoided, they were draft dodgers, I should say, not deserters. They didn't sign up like they were supposed to, or their mother didn't, I assume, and were killed for it. And so Scylla's motivation for being part of the spree seems to be that she wants revenge against those who killed her parents. Right. And Porter suspects that. Right.
0: And and we also get the idea from him that maybe they had a romantic relationship in the past as well.
2: Exactly. And that is played to its fullest effect because his subsequent suicide, which is Scylla's way of getting rid of him, she uses the same spell that she's been using the whole time to make him overcome with an unbearable sadness. (laughs) And he throws himself off the roof. But, you know, some things fall into place that definitely seem like they're going to blow everything for Scylla, including the fact that the necro teachers want to take this rare opportunity of a dead person in their midst (laughs) to show them a spell for reviving the dead to communicate with them briefly before sending them along their way. And Scylla tries to sabotage this, tries to turn up the heat in the lab so that the body can't be revived, but she doesn't succeed but apparently she doesn't need it. And I was very kind of surprised when Porter's dead body told an untruth, you know, belying the, the old saying, dead men tell no lies. You know, it seems like they do.
0: Well, I wasn't sure whether I was more surprised or
1: Scylla.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but that's what's so cool about the ending is that, you know, <laughs> rael apparently shows up to have another visit with Scylla, except it's not Rael at all. It's some kind of boss lady within the spree that has shown up to basically put Scylla in her place. Listen, you're supposed to bring her to us, not bring her to yourself. And she kind of intimates that they're the ones. The spree had to actually do something to Porter or do something to his body to prevent him from telling the truth during that brief uh, communication that the necros were able to to get out of him right so it looks like the next step is going to be the bellwether wedding which abigail's mother has insisted she bring her a unit to and this boss of the spree has insisted that sylla get herself invited to as well so you can see where this is headed but that's that's exactly why i wanted to end the spoiler zone with episode four, because, you know, you can see that there are more stories to come, but you know, we only have time to discuss so much (laughs) in these, uh, 40 to 45 minute podcasts that we do. So it's just a great intro to this world. The world building is wonderful. And the characters are immediately magnetic. Yeah. I'm just so pleasantly surprised how this has turned out. Yeah. I mean, it could, it could have been a show like, like, uh, I know a lot of sirens. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but I think it it definitely uh, surprised me in that sense, because I wasn't sure, you know, are we going to do Motherland, Fort Salem? Is it going to be a show that we actually enjoy? And I very much did. And I know you did, too. So, as I mentioned, the 100th episode is next, our final episode. And we definitely want to thank everybody for joining on this, us on this great journey. So please share uh, your memories of the podcast and tell us the different parts of the podcast you enjoyed over the years by going to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash sci-fi fidelity and sharing with us your favorite memory from the podcast over the years, your favorite topic, your favorite, you know, discussion, show, interview, whatever you want, or even just a moment that you enjoyed somewhere along the line. And you can do that also by submitting an audio just record yourself and submit the audio file to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. So that's it, I guess. Still, you can keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek, of course, on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US, and we will still be at Sci-Fi Fidelity.
0: But in the meantime, you can find me over at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch uh, at Sci-Fi TV and, and Wayne and I are going to be covering season three of Dark in eight or nine weeks or so. Mike and I'll continue reviewing your favorite genre television
2: at Den of Geek. So, make sure you find your way there as well and of course we will actually try to be transitioning into video so you may see dave and i in shorter versions of the podcast in the social media feeds of of demo so stay tuned to our social media feeds for more news on that but thanks again for listening this is sci-fi fidelity signing out until next week